Welcome into District 1 Sports, Mike and Micah back with you for another Thursday preview. But like, it feels like maybe the last four or five Thursdays, it doesn't, it's not just football with this team. There's always something else going on and today is no exception. As we're getting prepared to start this podcast, news came breaking that the Washington football team now has another problem on his hand as Congress is now going to the NFL to release everything that happened in the Beth Wilkerson investigation, all the emails that the uh, that the NFL took from the Washington football team, and any other information they have regarding the workplace environment. They don't think the NFL handled this is uh, as a well. They don't think the NFL handled this investigation well, and now Congress wants everything, and they're going to blow this case wide open. So, Micah, I want to get your first initial thoughts when you saw this. What did you think? It kind of confirms exactly what I feel like is being, you know, hidden in all of this. Something very serious, something that should be released is really alarming. It's going to quite possibly make people relatively uncomfortable that um, the things that were happening within this franchise and amongst the quote unquote culture of the NFL, these things are real. And these are things that, you know, are being protected and hidden, it feels like, and when things, it feels like as jarring as this is going to be, come out, it doesn't really make anybody feel good. The, the idea of, you know, um, comfort and things like that to some people get, you know, destroyed when stuff like this hits because they feel like these things shouldn't be happening or one, you know, aren't happening. But the reality is these things are happening and people are relatively, you know, covering up for it. But this is a big step in getting, you know, the proper justice for the people that have been affected on all fronts and everything that has happened regarding this organization, regarding what the NFL has known or doesn't know, whatever the case might be. This is something that somebody has to pay for more than just John Gruden, um, who seems like the only casualty here. I mean, Bruce Allen was on his a on his way out anyway. If anything, he was fired for his football performance more than his actual wrongdoings. So this is a little bit of accountability and it's really uncomfortable to a lot of people, but I, to me, that's the really the first thing that came to mind was just like this is what happens when everything falls apart. We're here, it looks like. So, uh, you know, we'll keep our eyes peeled, but we're here, bro. Yeah, they have until November 4th to, I guess, decide whether to give it or not. The biggest thing for me, and I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or off, but for the longest time, I felt like everything that was happening, Dan Snyder was not going to get in trouble. Dan Snyder was not going to have to sell the team because Roger Goodell works for Dan Snyder. Roger Goodell is not uh, an independent authority in the situation. He has his bosses, and those are the 32 owners in the NFL. If the other owners don't want their, uh, if they don't want what's being done in their organization brought up, they're not going to make sure they sell out Dan Snyder and potentially open a Pandora's box. But by somebody leaking those John Gruden emails, the Pandora's box has been opened, unfortunately. A couple of things that I think that could happen. One, Dan Snyder could be forced to sell by the other owners. They don't want this to go in uh, in front of Congress. They don't want this to become bigger than it already is. He has to be forced to sell. Two, they go ahead and fight it, and I think it gets worse for them. Either way, at this point, this is the first time that I felt in this whole situation, besides the um time where I believe it was the junkies, Micah, where they got an issue of um Beth Wilkerson's report or whatever, where they said that her recommendation was that Dan sell the team. We thought maybe, oh, once we see the report, we're going to see that, oh, he has to sell the team. Obviously, NFL covered it up. No report. They just said it was an oral report. So that's obviously BS. We, we, we know that. So this is the first time that I felt that potentially the Washington football team may be under new ownership in the next couple of years. 
I didn't think it would be possible, but if the Congress is getting involved, if these emails are incriminating, if the information that Beth Wilkerson did, because the thing we have to realize with Congress is that they can bring her into the chambers and she has to give herself an oral report. Everything that she discovered, everything that she felt, being um, being in front of Congress and bringing up her different um, sides of the investigation. So they have many avenues that they can get this information from her. So this is going to be interesting to see how NFL and the Washington football team responds. It's always something each and every week. I thought this was the week we finally just say, hey, well, the team sucks, but we're talking about football. But no. It's, it's, if it's not one thing, it's not, it's another. It was this week with, uh, Congress getting involved, a couple of weeks ago with Bruce Allen, uh, emails being out there. We had the DEA raiding the facility. Nothing is ever smooth in Ashburn. But this is a sports podcast. So let's get into the sports. Micah, that Chiefs game. Wow. It was rough. It was rough. We were up at halftime, but it always felt fluke and, the Chiefs were able to move the ball. One stupid drop by Tyreek Hill that ended up being picked off. And a dumb play by Mahomes. Or this could have been a 50-point uh, game from the Chiefs offense. First thing before we get into the game. Dustin Hopkins is finally let go. He's cut from the team. What were your thoughts on that? Um, A move that probably should have happened maybe two weeks ago. But, you know, there's never a wrong time to make the move that should have been made. Um, and I think that, you know, the delaying of this kind of goes into really what's been going wrong this year, just the delayed reaction to things that are truths and kind of looking yourself in the mirror. And once again, maybe this is an actual theme for the entire organization, but holding yourself accountable and realizing that things have to be changed. Um, you know, this should have happened. This should have been happened. If the fans, if we had it our way, I mean, he wouldn't even been brought back. We would have got a kicker whether drafted one or in the offseason. But here we are with a new kicker. We'll see how it goes. Um, it's always a chance you take with guys off the street when they're kicking. But kicking is kicking. You can be hot. You can be a great kicker and then just start missing everything. So we'll see what happens with uh, this next kicker. But Dustin Hopkins, I mean, he's a kicker, man, that wasn't making kicks. Once I mean, once you go for it on your 40-yard line, you don't even let him attempt a 52-yarder. You know this thing here is wrapped up. So... It's not even surprising. Like, I can't even, you know, give a a grand thing about it. It's just this should have happened, and it's happening now, but it should have happened. What gives me pause in this situation is that this should happen in the offseason. There were opportunities for you to draft a kicker in the draft if you found one that you liked. You drafted a long snapper. You thought long snapper needed to be upgraded, whatever that means. But you wait until the middle of the season to make a kicking change. Now... Don't get me wrong. I don't think the move was incorrect. Like you said, when you don't go for it on fourth down, when you have a situation in which you your kicker is missing a 42-yarder against the Kansas City Chiefs to put you up six, you have to move on. But I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and Chris Blewett was not a great kicker in college. He was good. He has a very strong leg. He has one of the biggest kick in Pitt history, uh, beating the number two team, Clemson, with a 40-plus uh, yarder, and did it, made it easy. But he was under 70% accuracy in college. I don't know if he got better over the past couple of years, but still, this is something that if you really wanted it to, if you really wanted to change, you would do it in the offseason and make sure that you were set at this position. But somehow, some way, Ron decided middle of the season. And I understand the move. I just don't know if 
the replacement that you brought in will be enough to to essentially replace what Dustin Hopkins was doing. Because as bad as Hopkins is, he was still around 80%. If we go from 80% to 70%, we're scoring in the single digits at this point. <laughs> we're not going to be putting up, we're not putting up 15, 18 points, those weird ass scores. We're going to be in the single digits. So this is something that kind of confuses me, but after you don't trust your uh, kicker two weeks before and then he misses a 42-yarder the week, uh, the next week after, you expect this type of move to be done, right, Micah? Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, uh, just to piggyback on that, really, um, Hopkins, he's at the league average, and it's not that he's not a skilled kicker. I mean, we've seen him make kicks in the past that have been relatively big, but his issues really, I mean, timing-wise... It's just, it seems like every miss was at the very worst time, the time that you couldn't miss it. Um, and it was always a situation where the offense puts itself in a position to play winning football by getting just points on the board that probably shouldn't have been happening. And the result of that is losing football. And I mean, if your kicker is the result of you playing losing football, it doesn't have to be the reason you lost, but if he's contributing to the factor and you feel like there's a move that can be made, sure. But, and you mentioned it. Chris Blewett, I mean, we're literally taking a chance on a guy who's been working at Home Depot and just training guys out in Virginia. Like, and I mean, you can be whatever kicker you want to be. I mean, once I mentioned, like, you know, kicking is just a spectrum, man. I mean, you can be cold one day and be a Super Bowl winning quarter, uh, not quarterback, a kicker the next day. Like, it could just be like that. But you're really taking a big chance in the middle of a season when your kicker you have had a league average. Um, stats, it's just the timing was terrible. So it is interesting. It's very interesting. Um, if Blewett turns out to make every single kick and you can trust him from 50 plus, then I mean, we'll be forgetting about this and we'll be like, this is the right move. But if it goes the other way, I mean, it'll just be, you know, kind of the same thing has been going on. So we'll see. But it is interesting. Very. It is. I'm interested to see how Blewett kicks. Tough place to go and kick in Lambo as your first game. If this was going to happen, I would think maybe after the bye week. But, hey, once Ron makes the decision, why linger around and why wait for it? Let's go ahead and go full force. So, I'll be excited to see how Blewett is in his first game. But let's get to the offense and the defense. So, the Chiefs game. The defense was bad. Yes, they had three turnovers. But one, like I said, was a fluke off uh, Tyreek Hill's hand. The other was Mahomes losing control. The one that Holcomb forced, that was a great play by Holcomb. Besides that, the defense had a pretty bad day. What are you expecting from a defense now against, after Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers? Much of the same, if not worse. Um, And you mentioned it earlier when you were recapping the game that a lot of the mistakes made um, by the Chiefs were just bonehead kind of you, you know, you get lost in the moment of football sometimes and weird things happen. So Tyreek Hill, dumb draw. Patrick Mahomes forgetting that how to throw a football down the field or to throw it out, um, you know, out of harm's way on a down. That was the difference between possibly the, the Chiefs having 40 plus and, and them being, um, quote unquote measured where they were because they still put up big points, um, against Washington. I think that honestly, the way the Packers are playing and the way Aaron Rodgers is and the fact that they're going to be relatively, if not pretty much healthy, you're going to see a worse Chiefs game. And a worse Chiefs game looks like the Packers doing exactly what the Chiefs did when they were hot, but sustaining it over time. I really don't see a way um, that the the Packers at this point can be stopped by a team that has showed, that has showed consistent bad effort. 
um, or, you know, inconsistent effort, I should even say, on defense. I, I just don't see how this is possible. We're going to break it down more, bro. But, like, I, I, I don't see if there's a, something that they can really take advantage of fully. I mean, I'll, I'll speak on it, but I just don't see a way that this could happen, really. You brought up a great point there where you kind of get lost in the moment of football and dumb things happen. You're not fully concentrating on the ball coming to you. That's how you get the interception from Hill. Mahomes always trying to make something happen. That's how you get um, the interception from him. Aaron Rodgers doesn't really make those type of plays. He's throwing it out of bounds, or he's going to scamper for a couple of yards to keep the play going. He is surgical. He's not going to beat you at one big play. He's going to consistently just eight yards, six yards, 10 yards, three yards, 15 yards. It's going to just be surgical drive after surgical drive. We haven't stopped anybody at this point. So why exactly would I think that this defense would be able to change anything? We heard the news today that Landon Collins now is uh, a down linebacker. He's not going to play in coverage. Um, he did unfortunately get put in coverage last week's game where he was um, he was a linebacker, but he was lined up against a tight end, got beat. So we'll see how that experiment goes. D-line, yes, they're getting pressure, but it's inconsistent. It's not a force of nature each and every time. Um, the secondary... It's been bad. It's going to stay bad. William Jackson was on the side field today. Um, Kendall Fuller hasn't had a great year. St. Juice has been all right. Hopefully we see something different in that center rotation with uh, McCain and uh, Curl. Maybe bring up a Reese, maybe the Shazer Everett. I'm not a fan of Bobby McCain at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Going to the offensive side, Micah. Curtis Samuel not looking like he's going to play. Taylor Heineke has been struggling. Terry McLaurin um, hasn't been getting enough targets. And when he does get the targets, they're inaccurate. The O-line is banged up even though they're playing well. Antonio Gibson is banged up even though he's set to go. Cam Sims is hurt. Deami Brown is still a rookie. I mean, Adam Humphreys you have out there. What do you even expect from this Washington football team offense that's either banged up or super young? Well, ah, uh, man. Really, I mean, what to expect at this point is... Just them being, you know, trying to expand on what they could do as an offense. I think that's the biggest thing that they have to do. Um, it's just, you know, the things that they can do well, which is really, honestly, Heineke playing off schedule, being able to make on-the-run throws or be outside of the pocket and kind of thrive there. His ability to be kind of a dual-threat guy, that's really what works on the offensive side. And you hope that this offense and the receivers, I mean, if they're healthy enough, can kind of play that kind of random off-schedule ball as well because that's really what works. Every time there's been, you know, a, either consistent pressure or you've allowed Heineke or you want Heineke to kind of be this game manager, either is too underwhelming or he's making too many mistakes because of the pressure and the exotic defenses. And while the Packers don't necessarily play the most exciting defenses, uh, no, don't, excuse me, don't play the most exciting defi- exotic defense, I do think that they present a lot of troubles to Washington. Um, the O-line is not really what I'm thinking about, even though the Packers do have a propensity to get to the ball, especially with uh, their front seven. But really, I think that the intermediate game is going to be a, a task for them. The intermediate to long game, because their DB room is a little bit banged up. Um, obviously, you're missing Jair Alexander, which is huge, because you won't have that um, big red X over you know Terry McLaurin targets because of a top five corner on him. So I, I do think that there's an ability to get this thing going in the pass game. Now, 
do I expect them to be able to compete with what the Packers are going to do? No. I, I think it'll be by cause, uh, just because of what's going on, technically a lot of points. But I don't necessarily think that this game will be close in this way. I, I think that points will be scored um, by both sides. But to call it a, a game where the offense can keep them in the game, I'm just not going to go that far. But I do think there's points to be had in the past game, uh, especially because of Antonio Gibson being hurt. You're going to end up using a lot more J.D. McKissick. And at that point, you might as well just use J.D. McKissick in the flat as your run game. So I think a lot of passing is going to be the way to um, at least weather the storm of the Packers, but not really enough to win. I kind of, I don't know. I I guess I agree to that point where, they can be able to put points, but I kind of want to go to a larger point where I'm kind of upset with the way that Ron Rivera has handled the offensive injuries. Curtis Samuel, he should have never came off of IR. Antonio Gibson, we're going to keep on doing this song and dance where he'll get like 10 carries and then he'll be like, ah, he's questionable for the rest of the game. Throw him on IR to after the bye week, let him heal up a little bit and then get him rolling for the second half of the season. I just don't think that Taylor has enough pieces healthy to be in a place where we're like, okay, this offense is going to be able to put up points. They're not going to outscore the Packers. That's not going to happen. You can do that against a Giants team. You can do that against a Falcons team. You're supposed to do that against a Chiefs team. I don't know what happened. But with no Logan Thomas, no Curtis, Gibson at 50-60%, I don't see how this offense is really going to work anymore. Taylor, he's a nice story. He's a nice guy. He doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have um, the accuracy to be an NFL quarterback for 17 weeks. So whether it's through free agency or drafting a QB, I think we have to be looking at somebody again next year. But again, I did love his story, and I thought he was really um, cool when we end up uh, when we need him for a couple of games. But as a straight starter, I don't think that's going to happen. So usually, Micah. Um, we do strength weakness for each, uh, for the Washington football team. So since we know that this is not going to be a very good game, we'll put them together because we don't need to break this up into a big segment. What do you think Washington has over Green Bay? And what do you think Green Bay has over Washington? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing Washington has over Green Bay is that I do think that the past game is going to be able to work against what Green Bay is doing. Um, I think at times it might be spotty, but I do think that, as I mentioned, with the off-schedule stuff that Taylor Heineke can do, the stuff that he's well, uh, good at, especially because you're playing with guys that are relatively banged up as well, um, it's going to have to be a little bit of um, deference in, in what you're trying to do. And I do think that when Heineke is really playing with his hair on fire, that's when he's best, um, whether that is him running the ball, pushing the ball downfield, whatever the case may be, I, I do think that there is a chance um, especially with what the Packers are, are really going to bring to the table as a defense, there's a chance for him to get outside the pocket and, and extend plays. And I think that's really going to be really the only thing Washington can take advantage of because everything else is the, really the disadvantage here. Um, Defensive-wise, there's nothing Washington is going to be able to do. You aren't going to change a bad defense in one week. And as you've seen for the last seven weeks, this is what they are, a bad defense. It doesn't help that William Jackson, I mean, he's not playing well, but he's still going to be able to slightly cover people. If you're having a move, I mean, I'm looking at the depth, uh, depth chart on ESPN.com right now. And I mean, Troy Ackby is the backup for William Jackson um, by, by proxy. That scares the living crap out of me. I don't ever want to see that again. Um, and because Kendall Fuller has been playing slot, it's going to have to be somebody to step up. I mean, maybe you see like a corn elder siding, but 
I mean, this is just a this is just a mess. What what is going on with this defense? Um, there's no advantage for this defense. The like you said, the D line they might be able to get pressures, but what good is this? What, what good is any of these pieces working together if one thing can happen and sabotage the entire work of the unit? So you know what? There there is no advantages really for Washington's defense. It's really just you hope Taylor Heineke um plays well enough not to mess it up fully, but they're gonna lose this game anyway. Yeah. <sighs> The O-line, I guess the O-line is number one in uh, not allowing pressures. Taylor Heineke has the seventh most time to throw a football, so that's an advantage. A disadvantage is disadvantage at the quarterback battle, the wide receivers battle, running backs, defensive line, secondary linebackers, special teams, coaching, organization, fans. Uh, am I missing anything? Concessions, probably stadium parking is probably better culture. Um, logo. I mean, they have a logo. We don't, Oh, let's see what else. Um, I think that's about it. Almost everything else besides maybe the O line, because Bakhtiari, this is his first game potentially off of IR and they haven't, they've been a good O line. They haven't been as good as Washington. So yeah. Uh, the Packers have an advantage everywhere, I w- except for maybe O-line. And that's what's going to lead to my game prediction. I'll go first, Micah, here. The Chiefs could have easily put up 40-plus points on us. The Packers are going to put up 40-plus points. I think it's a 42-point game. 42-18 Packers roll. What do you got? I would give Washington about one more touchdown, but I, w- I would say 42-24. to 24. Um, I think they'll be able to score maybe one more time. You'll get a fluke little... Um, one in the fourth a blue quarter, kind of field goal, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, blew it field goal. Maybe he goes. Maybe blue it goes like five for five today, just because nothing else happens, and you get fifteen points from your kicker. Who knows? It's, it's one of those type of games. But um, yeah, the Packers are going to put up forty. That's pretty much confirmed. Oh man, I'm I'm sad. I really am sad talking about this team. But we are not going to leave you guys sad because last week Thursday. We said we're going to come on this podcast on Thursday. And we both predicted it, Micah. We both predicted victories for the Washington Wizards to start off this season. The new era with Wes Unseld. And we started off strong. Not only did we lead essentially wire to wire. The lead got to as big as 29 points. Washington was an underdog in this game. The lead got up to, again, 29 points. Didn't play great at the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth. We have to clean that up. But Washington still won by 15 points without Brad having to play 35 plus minutes, without Brad having to score 30 plus points. But contributions from 1 two, through 10, minus Davis Bertans, we can get to that a little bit. But Micah, man, it felt good to see that victory for the Washington Wizards. It felt so, so, so good to see them play as we kind of expected them to play and exactly what you would think a West Unsold team would exactly play like. This is exactly what we thought the Wizards were going to bring to the table, man. Literally almost to a T. And it's funny. They did everything. You know, we're shocked over here. Teams actually playing as they should. You know, doing exactly what they're supposed to do and get a hope of a road win to start the season. Winning the home opener, something that we haven't done in years. Like, winning in Toronto, something we haven't done in years. Like, okay. But, you know, getting into a little bit of the game here. Brad said he wanted to take less shots, and it was reported that him and Wes really had this talk and were like, look, 
and Brad was kind of just like, yo, I can do this, but I mean, if I don't have to do this and we can still get a W, I don't have, I don't want to have to do this anymore. He took less shots. Um, everybody on the court was actually kind of cold. It just wasn't a great shooting night by anybody. So that's why the stats are a little bit like, eh, if you look at everybody's individual stats and as a team, um, especially three point shooting. But I mean, one of the great things that I saw was even with three point shooting being at 18%, the team still shot 44%, 80% from free throw was able to get multiple people in double figures. Um, yeah, Kyle Kuzma had a double, double Trez damn near had a double, double, um, this is lovely. This is exactly what you want to see. A uh, high effort team. Um, still have some things to clean up, as you mentioned, that they shouldn't have given up that lead um, in the fourth. But you know what? They still won by 15 points. I'm not going to complain about a 15-point win. And you really saw what this team could bring to the table. Solid basketball all around. Um, this is one of the better, well-rounded teams I've seen that was just put out um, in a really long time. Um, and anybody can get it going on that night. You see Montrezl Harrell being able to take advantage of um the Raptors low post situation and he's able to you know be high energy Trez the guy we saw with the Clippers you see Brad being able to come in and pace his scoring when the three-point shot is getting hot is going to get hot makes all his free throws being able to get the shots that he still needs to get and it not be so strenuous to his game and I mean Kyle Kuzma he's going to be a person that's going to be interesting on the offensive side but at least if you're going to be interesting on the offensive side at least give high effort and the ability to Put a stat in every single column, in every single column too. I mean, there's a stat literally in everything except offensive rebounds. Um, and you know, you hate to see the five turnovers from Kyle Kuzma. That's just him being kind of sloppy, and that's something that he's picked up in maybe the last couple of years, ever outside of that first year uh, with the Lakers. But him being 11, uh, 11 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, a uh, steal, and a block. That's high energy. I'm okay with that. You're not the reason, um, you yeah. know, contributing to a win or a loss here. But it's still it's no no no. Micah, Let's not make any. I, I, I'm not, I think not, I think you're letting the yeah, win. Kuzma. Yeah, that win is still. It was good, but you can't have Kyle no, Kuzma no, shooting Kuzma, that four for thirteen, two no, no, for no, no, nine no, from no. three. I don't want Kyle Kuzma ever the rest of the season taking nine threes. I don't care how hot he is. No, no, he's not a three point exactly. shooter to be taking nine threes. Yeah. He's not. And that's why I said it was interesting. If he's going to be interesting, that's why I'm not interesting. If he's going to be interesting on offense and do this. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly a fan of it, but at least do your due diligence on the rest of the court and make sure you try to even out the odds. But yeah, no, he is not the guy to be leading your team in threes. Um, like, no, 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 no. He, she should never be getting the, all the shots at that point. I mean, look, if you, if Bertans is not going to be making the shots that he's not going to make, I mean, dog, put Kispert in and at least you know you're going to be able to knock some down. That's really what, um, I guess I'm looking forward to next is really just the lineup changes and really getting things solid. And it's only game one. This is going to be a fluid thing for the first 10 to 15, maybe even 20 games. But when it gets going and it works out, I think this is a good sign of what you're going to see from the Wizards. And I'm really happy about what I saw on the court. The last thing you said is the most important. This is going to be fluid and it's going to take a couple of games. It's not going to be all like this. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up losing by 15 plus to the Pacers. Just because the Pacers have continuity that we don't have. A couple of things that stood out to me from the box score and watching the game. Watching the game, you saw that when Aaron Holiday and Bertans were on the court together, it was not a winning lineup. Against a terrible Toronto Raptors team, it was still very disappointing to see how those two play together. I have faith in Holiday that he can get it going. I have zero faith in Bertans. Bertans needs to be benched in my opinion. Like I said uh, earlier, Kyle Kuzma, I never want to see him shoot nine threes. KCP, he shot five threes, one for five. That's okay. 
I would even take him up to 6'7". I think once he gets hot, he can start going. Montrez Harrell and Daniel Gafford are going to be amazing. Uh, 22 minutes for Gafford, 26 minutes for Harrell. Uh, Gafford, 8 points, uh, 5 rebounds, 4 blocks. You can't ask for more from Gafford. Montrez Harrell, 22 points, uh, 9 rebounds. That's amazing. That's energy off the bench. I do kind of worry where does Thomas Bryant fit into this equation. Maybe he's playing the four. Maybe he you can have a situation since Thomas Bryant is a shooter. You run a Gafford, uh, Bryant, uh, Rui, Beal, Dinwiddie type of lineup, which could be fun and have a little bit uh, a different aspect to it. Obviously, you kind of struggle defensively with Bryant being out of position, but who knows what you see with that. So a lot of things that I liked, the defensive intensity was there. Once Kuzma goes to the bench and Rui's back into full swing, this lineup gets even deeper where you have Kuzma coming off the bench with Denny. And I do like what they can do as a second unit. It was just, I saw how they blew that lead against the Knicks where they started to rush shots. No more ball movement. It was a lot of one-on-one game. And we saw the same thing. They started to rush shots. Beal was doing everything by himself, which he said he didn't want to do. And he has to realize that, hey, I have teammates now that can help create. So I think if we see things like that, this team will be in a situation in a couple of weeks where we're like, yeah, I, I do think this could be a team that is a legit five, four, five seed in the uh, Eastern Conference because the Eastern Conference, as deep it is, as it is, it's going to be very fluid. We saw the double OT game between the Knicks and the Celtics. You play that game 100 times, each team is winning 50-50. We're going to see the Celtics. So we're going to see also the top teams in the East coming up. We know we have Brooklyn coming up. So there are games that are going to challenge us, and I think that's what's helping uh, a young team. We have Spencer did when he, um Nobody really talked on him in the post game, but 13 points, uh, three turnovers, not bad. He was 5-5 five for five from the free throw line, 4-10. for 10. He's just a floor general, and this is the first time in D.C. in a while that we haven't had an all-star point guard. So I want to see how that works with just this whole rotation. But for me, I was happy with just the way the defense looked. Yeah, a couple of shots were still open, but there was definitely intensity there. And Daniel Gafford is going to be in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. I At least I think so. One game, four blocks. But I think all defensive team and uh, Defensive Player of the Year are definitely something that he could be in line for if he keeps up the way he's playing. And quickly, Micah. You know how I feel about Rudy Gobert and how he's unplayable in the playoffs. I think somebody like Gafford who did... Oh, we'd even mention, congrats to Daniel Gafford getting the three-year $40 million extension. I don't think a guy like Daniel Gafford gets played off a floor in a playoff game. Nah, he doesn't. And that's one of the skill sets that you've seen, even in the playoffs when he was playing, but throughout the regular season last year. The way he's able to kind of run, you know, be with the flow of the game when he was in shape. One of the biggest things for him was that, to Scott Brooks, I should say, he wasn't necessarily in shape. You saw it at times where he was a little bit gassed. But he got into shape, and he was able to really be an extended minutes player on the court. You saw him have the agility to step out there in the mid part of the court sometimes and being able to not get lost um, and just get beat by a move. You saw the, the rim protector in him being able once again to have multiple blocks and impact the game that way. And you saw it last, uh, last night with, with how the Wizards played. He's able to get two steals as well. Four blocks, two steals, eight points, um, five rebounds. As you mentioned, you keep that consistent and you're going to be in the defensive player of the year talks. And that's a wonderful thing for a guy who was over there sitting on Chicago's bench. 
just this time last year, like the turnaround on what you're getting out of the guys who's going to be key factors um, on this team. It's amazing. And it's a testament to what the plan has been um, from the top down for the Wizards. This is what it looks like when you play your cards right and you take chances, calculated chances, and you're able to recoup on the back end and get guys you need. But I'm a big fan of how these guys are looking to play. I'd like to see some things cleaned up, but if this is what we're going to be seeing, like I mentioned before, I'm really happy with the product and I can't wait for the rest of the season. I can't wait to. We are just getting started. The Capitals are playing right now. They've gotten five out of the available six points this season, obviously losing in overtime to uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. But they're beating a New Jersey Devils team right now, so they're going to go uh, to 3-0-1 on this season. So the Caps, just a great organization too. Ted is looking to try to turn the way the Caps are just a consistent winner. He's trying to do that with the Wizards too. He hired the right guy for the job, and it seems like everything... So far, so good for Tommy Shepard. Nothing has really gone too bad for him, except for maybe that Bertans contract. But that's the going rate for spot-up shooters. He just has to be able to hit his shots. So, like usual, Mike and I will not be in a good mood on Sunday when we record our next podcast. It'll be after the Aaron Rodgers debacle. He's going to put up 40. But... Again, the Wizards will have another game. The Caps will play again. So we'll talk about the football in the beginning, get it all out, complain. And then we'll preview the, we'll talk about the Wizards and what their upcoming week is looking like, what they did against the Indiana Pacers, and hopefully we'll end the podcast on a more, much more chipper. But that's going to do it for this episode. We'll be back Sunday night to recap Washington versus Green Bay. For Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.